Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Should Christian parents send their kids to public school in order to be a light and influence on their local campus? What do we do about people who claim that their new age practices or beliefs from other faiths have produced long-term good changes in their lives? How do I have the right to tell someone to live more like a Christian when I am a sinner? And finally, Paul said in 1 Timothy 2.12, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. How does that apply to two women co-hosting a podcast and speaking at a national conference? Well, these are the questions we're going to tackle today in a rapid fire manner. And these are also just a handful of the questions that were submitted to us at our last Unshaken conference. One of our favorite moments of the whole day at the conference is the Q&A session, where we take questions on a live mic from the audience as well as answer questions submitted digitally. Of course, we can't get to every question, so we're going to dedicate this episode to answering some of the really thoughtful questions we received. But first, an important announcement. So this is actually our last episode of the season. Summer is a really busy time for everyone, including us. So we're taking a little bit of a break, but we're going to be back in the fall with all new episodes as we launch season two of Unshaken Faith. So we're definitely coming back. But if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, now is the perfect time to do it because if you're subscribed, your podcast platform will notify you when we release that first episode of the next season and you'll be sure not to miss out. In the meantime, we want to remind you, don't forget we're coming to Tucson, Arizona with the Unshaken Conference on September 23rd and Nashville on November 4th. Go to unshakenconference.com to get your tickets today. We would love to see you at one of those events. Now we're going to skip over our usual tips of the week this week because we want to be able to get through these great questions that were submitted and there's always a lot to say in response to these. So here's the first one and I, I want to preface this by saying that we actually received some variant of this question multiple times from the conference. So this is definitely something that seems to be on people's minds and just getting some clarity around it. So we appreciate the opportunity to answer it. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 12, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. The person asked, how would you guys say this scripture applies to today's conference? Thank you. (laughs) So Elisa, this is a topic that you are particularly passionate about. How did you think this through? Well, this is a topic I'm really passionate about because I love scripture and I believe that every bit of scripture is God breathed. It's inspired by God. It's his revealed word. So I happily and joyfully affirm what Paul said here in 1 Timothy 2.12. And so that's something I've thought through a lot with my husband, with my pastor, with the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary uh, back a few years ago when it was Richard Land. We thought these questions through is how that would apply. And so basically, I would start by saying that we have to look at the direct context of what Paul is saying here. So when he's talking about not permitting a woman to teach or have authority over a man, the context is church government. This is uh, the bringing of the word for the church. And also, it's interesting to note that he didn't uh, always not permit a woman to teach or to speak. Uh, In fact, he allowed women to prophesy as long as their heads were covered. So we know that it's not 
a matter of a woman never being able to say a word in church, right? But this really has the connotation of authority. Women are not to take authority over a man. And so I am a complementarian, which means that I believe that men and women were both made equal in the eyes of God when it comes to their dignity and value and worth, but they're different in how they were made. They're different in the roles they play in the church and in the home. And I actually think that is quite beautiful. I don't, as a woman, I don't think if there's something that I'm not permitted to do, that that means I'm less than, or that I should try to do that thing. In fact, I think the unique things that God enabled women to do that men can't do, for example, birth a child, nurse a child, uh, and, and have that responsibility is a great honor. And so I actually don't think it's anything less than. In fact, I think the burden of that leadership being on the male is is really something I'm glad I'm not responsible for. So the way I approach this when it comes to speaking is I will decline invitations to preach a sermon on a Sunday morning from the platform of a church, because that would imply authority. Now, if we think about the context of this question being in the context of church government, a conference is really not under the authority of a particular church. People can come or go, and they can take what I say or leave what I say. And also, I'm not expositing scripture at these conferences. I'm sharing information about progressive Christianity and how that differs from historic Christianity, sharing some apologetics information in my testimony. So I actually feel okay about doing that. And as I've counseled with these other people in my life, that is where I've landed. It's definitely a spectrum. People land all along the way on the spectrum. But that's, at this point, the best I can do to to understand the spirit of what Paul is saying and how that would apply to us at a conference. So did you have any thoughts on this, too? I know that you you face this question a lot, too, Natasha. Yeah. You know, it's funny because my husband was at the Chino Hills conference, and you had answered this question there, and Frank added a little little bit to it. And I didn't say anything at the conference about it because I thought you guys said exactly what I would say. And so we kind of went on and later my husband was like, well, how come you didn't say anything? People are going to wonder what you think. And I just thought, well, they said exactly what I think. And so I, I would say, yeah, I, I've come out exactly where you have, Elisa, on this question. I think that was really well said explaining the difference. And like you're saying, I, I respect that people might draw the lines in different places. Uh, you know, if if somebody might have a problem with the, the conference setting, I think that we also have to consider, well, what does that mean about social media, following women on social media. What does that mean for reading a book written by a woman? You know, is there a certain amount of content that can't be in one area that can be in, you know, maybe a different one? Is that how where people will draw the line? What about listening to this podcast? You know, should men not listen to this podcast? I think people are going to come out in some different ways. But I think what we're saying, what Elisa's saying, what I'm saying is that we don't believe that these areas are the kinds of contexts in which uh, Paul was speaking when he is saying this in First Timothy and, and speaking to this in other places. So I think that's that's really well said. And we we appreciate getting this question because we we are all about wanting to stay true to what the Bible says and submitting to God's authority. So I'm glad there are multiple people who were submitting this question and wanting to think through it. Well, here's a second one that we got. This person says this, how do I have any right to tell someone else how to live more like a Christian when I am a sinner? I have a heart that cares a lot and I want to help. And being a passive human, I don't know when to step in and say something. I'm not a pastor and I'm not Jesus. So how do I spread his name when I'm not a perfect example or have tons and tons of knowledge? So I love the heart behind this question because clearly the person who is asking it is coming from a place of humility. But there are a couple of things I think are important to understand here. 
first, when Jesus calls us to make disciples and be salt and light in the world, it's not because we're sharing on our own authority or on our own moral perfection. We're just the messenger of the truth that comes from his authority and his moral perfection. God's authority and perfection are clearly independent of us. But when the person says, how do I have a right to tell someone else how to live more like a Christian? They're kind of assuming that in order to share God's truth with someone, it requires you to be morally superior to them, as though you gain the right to speak into someone's life by virtue of your own moral excellence. Well, imagine how problematic that would be if true, right? You would have to know everything about someone relative to yourself before ever sharing what God says. Obviously, that's not even possible. And also, it's not really that you're, quote unquote, telling someone how to live as though you're the boss. You're sharing how God has told everyone to live. So you don't have to be a pastor and you don't have to be Jesus to share God's truth. Otherwise, there could be no great commission, right? Jesus uses us as sinners to share the gospel. Now, all of that said, Jesus does warn us to take the log out of our own eyes so we can see clearly to help take the speck out of someone else's eye. We don't want to be hypocritical, and we are told that by Jesus. So we don't want to tell someone, hey, you need to stop doing something that we ourselves are guilty of. And of course, generally speaking, the Bible is very clear that we should be good witnesses to the world of living the way that Jesus calls us to so there's credibility to what we're saying. But the bottom line is that you shouldn't feel the need to be Jesus in order to share Jesus. Right. And I think a great practical step with something like this and sharing the gospel of grace with those around us is just readily admitting that the Holy Spirit is working on you too and convicts you of your sin that is defined by God's revealed word. You can always appeal back to God's revealed word and just admit, I can't live this perfectly. I don't live this perfectly, but my heart is open. I want the Holy Spirit to convict me. I want to become more and more like Jesus every day. Uh, But you're, you're not appealing to your own subjective standard when you're sharing the gospel with someone else. You're appealing to God's revealed word, which is objectively true for everyone. So you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be Jesus. You just have to share his message humbly and even breaking down walls by admitting your own uh, faults in, in certain areas. I think that's a great way to share grace with people. All right. The third question is this one. It says, recently, I came across several groups that follow other faiths and new age practices that report long-term positive spiritual experiences and good changes to their lives from these practices. Many of the believers of these other faiths assume that this is evidence that their gods slash spirits, etc., are real and reliable. Why does God allow people who practice false religions, false spirituality to experience the positive results that reinforce their beliefs, especially when it leads them away from salvation in Christ? And so my short answer for this one would be just to say that God has given us all free will. There are certainly going to be some things that make us feel better in the short term. Uh, It might put a Band-Aid on something. Uh, You know, I'll readily admit there are things that maybe other faiths and other, uh, you know, maybe rituals have come up with that make somebody feel a little bit calmer or make them feel like they have more peace. But this question is really only applicable if religion is in the subjective category. If all religion is, is just finding or cobbling together some practices and some, you know, breath, prayer, or whatever you want to do to make you feel better, then we would say, hey, go do your thing. Find what works for you. But Christianity is not in the subjective category. Christianity stands or falls, as we've talked about on the podcast before, stands or falls based on the resurrection of Jesus being an actual event in history that really happened. And if that is true, if Jesus really was raised from the dead, then Christianity is true. And there's actually going to be some things in your life that might get harder 
right? You might have be persecuted. You might be rejected. So I, uh, you know, if you follow the crowd, it might feel good for a while. There might be something that makes you feel better. But Jesus promised that in this world, we will have trouble, but be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. So as Christians, we have an eternal perspective, knowing that we are putting our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ that's objectively true, has eternal consequences for us and for everyone else, knowing that we're probably going to suffer in this life. But ultimately, we have that deep abiding joy of knowing that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and that we will spend eternity with the Lord where there will be no more tears and no more crying or pain. So I think it's just a completely different approach to how you view religion and what you think it's its purpose is. Yeah, and this is a really good example of why it's so important for Christians to understand apologetics and be able to speak to this objective evidence. Because if you're speaking with someone who says, oh, well, that's great for you. This works for me because I've seen some really positive things happening in my life. Well, what do you have to say to them if you can't actually provide some evidence of Christianity being true, if it's something that's completely in conflict with what they're teaching? And so, you know, otherwise it just becomes one subjective experience versus another. And so this should be good motivation for us as Christians to want to understand that objective evidence so that we don't get swayed by things ourselves and understand what is objectively true. And we're able to share that with others. Well, here's our last question. This one is actually a a doozy. It's a huge one. Let me read it to you and then I'll, I'll have some comments here. As a parent, I am torn between wanting my high school students to attend a solid Christian high school that equips them in biblical worldview versus staying in our local high school and being a a local public high school and being a light and influence on our local campus, which is more aligned with what the world wants our children to be indoctrinated in. Do you have any advice for parents in this subject of private versus public school? Okay, so I'm actually planning to do an in-depth podcast soon on on my own podcast on the subject of educational choices for Christian parents, and I'm going to look at homeschool, private, and public altogether. And I say that because this is such a huge subject that warrants an in-depth treatment, but we can't do that in short-form podcasts. But I'm going to offer just two key preliminary thoughts on the subject of private versus public, uh, very specifically given this question, with the caveat that, of course, there's far more to consider. So the first big point that I want to make is that Christian private schools vary in vast ways with respect to how much Christian education your child will get. So when this question comes comes up, I always encourage parents to not think of it as a question of private versus public, but rather a specific private school that they're considering in their area versus a specific public school that they're considering. So think of this in terms of looking at two specific schools, not this giant question of private versus public. Your local Christian school could be anything from fully progressive and resembling a public school to something quite amazing. If you don't know how to tell, I'm going to refer you to the fourth episode that I did on the Natasha Crane podcast where I share our years of experience in private Christian school, and I give you all kinds of important questions to ask of a school that you're considering. But the bottom line is that I don't think for a minute that because a school is called a Christian school, that means that they're teaching a biblical worldview. You have to do your research. It is not the solution to all the problems that you see out there. And I would go so far as to say that a progressive Christian school could potentially do even more damage than a public school due to the confusion it causes for your child about their faith. And I hear from parents all over the country on this that there are many private Christian schools who are going down this path, and it is causing enormous problems for their kids. So this is really something important to consider. The second big point that I want to make is with respect to public school. 
I think that parents are often unaware of the extent to which they need to be concerned with what is going on. In my personal opinion, it is unrealistic to think that most kids are going to be an influencer more than they're going to be influenced given the depth of indoctrination that's going on in most public schools today. When I was a kid, I honestly think it was quite a bit different in this area because the curricula and the agenda of the schools were just less hostile to a biblical worldview. So the idea of being salt and light in your public school was a lot more feasible given that it was more about your behavior in the context of non-believing friends. So even nominal Christian friends could be sort of a good influence with the choices that they were making when it came to, comes to language or partying and the kinds of things that they're going on in high school. But now there's something different. This isn't just about behavior. Now there is an ideological takeover. It's about what your kids are learning. It's about the nature of their whole education, not just their behavior and the behavior of the kids around them. Kids today in the public school overwhelmingly are learning revisionist history, reading extremely problematic literature for English, learning gender ideology as part of health, studying progressive social justice ideas under the banner of civics, and far more. It's in every subject. It's not about sex ed, like so many parents think. They think that this is just, a, well, it's something that we can get out of. It's just this one thing. It's not. It's an ideological takeover. So when you put your kids in public school, you need to know that their entire education today is going to be infiltrated by assumptions that run contrary to a biblical worldview. My personal bottom line is that in the vast majority of cases, if you have a choice other than public school, and not everyone does, and I admit that right up front, but I would take it. But that said, don't assume that Christian schools don't pose many of the same problems. You have to do your homework and understand what you're getting into with either a public school locally or your private school. And no matter what, be really involved in your kids' education and understand what they're doing wherever you put them. Oh, that is so well said. And and the only thing I would add to that is personally, it, you know, if I'm deciding between this Christian school or this public school, don't let your kids being a light and influence on that campus be a factor. I mean, I wouldn't let that be a factor. There's other ways to teach your kids to be a light and an influence. You can invite the kids on your street to go to church with you. There are other ways to do that. Um, at this point, as Natasha said, it's just outright brainwashing and ideological takeover. And so I, I just think that you you be free from letting that be a factor. Like, oh, should I send them to public so they can be a light? You don't have to do that. There are other ways that you can do that and teach your kids to be a light. And also you may consider homeschooling. There are so many great options now where people are doing co-ops and it's almost just like kind of running your own private school. So definitely keep your options open and make the best choice for your child in your area. But don't, don't feel like making them be a light is got to be a factor in that decision. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast. Uh, I can't wait to listen to that one, Natasha, that you're going to do on the public. Also the Elisa Childers podcast for more long form episodes where we go deeper individually into topics like these. But for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on that as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress, where we will never be shaken. Mm -hmm.